0: Welcome to another episode of the Beer Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Crouch. More than two months into the pandemic and things are starting to settle. We realize we're not getting out of this quickly and we're settling into routines, our new normal. The massive beer orders that many people, myself included, panic-bought in the early days of the crisis are finally starting to run out. That means it's time to load up on great beers from local breweries and help them survive these tough times. Breweries, bars, and restaurants are trying to make the best of an unbelievably bad situation. They are innovative, creative, and coming up with new approaches to the pandemic, and all the while asking state and local authorities for the ability to try new things. They sell beer from kegs in the back of pickup trucks, offer to-go Ziplocs and mason jars of mystery cocktails from storefront windows, and they offer cold cans directly delivered to your doorstep. The times are wild. This week in the Beer Edge newsletter, I make the case for public drinking. American liquor laws are pretty stupid, and the COVID-19 pandemic gives us a -a once-in-a-century chance to change them. With bars and restaurants starting to reopen across the country, one thing is clear. While there is a substantial pent-up demand to return to normalcy, including imbibing in bars, there is substantial public trepidation over sitting near people, let alone standing shoulder-to-shoulder with others while ordering and drinking beers indoors. The states that have reopened to date have demonstrated this, with attendance numbers remaining way down compared to pre-lockdown numbers. And it appears that folks won't be returning in the numbers that places need to make a profit based on their already tight margins. As much as I would like to sit elbow to elbow with a complete stranger at a local bar, casually discussing events or the weather, it's going to be a long time before most people feel comfortable doing that. Until we're able to return to that kind of normalcy, assuming it can return, Local and state governments should continue the creative thinking they have developed during the pandemic response and contemplate allowing breweries and bars to operate beer gardens in large, outdoor, public settings and to relax local laws governing open containers. With the weather quickly improving, people want to get together while still being able to maintain proper physical distancing. Beer gardens satisfy a long-suppressed hunger for open-air forums of public fun. The public should be allowed to enjoy some community and conviviality fresh air, and a beer or two all in the company of good friends and their restorative laughter. It's time to turn city streets into public restaurants and bars. For more on this essay, visit BeerEdge.com. In this week's episode of the podcast, we talk with J. Nicole Jackson Beckham. Dr. J., as she is colloquially known, is a former college professor, having very recently transitioned to a career as an equity and inclusion strategist. She founded Craft Beer for All, her platform that works to provide consulting services and training to individuals and organizations in the craft brewing industry. She's also the first diversity ambassador for the Brewers Association and the executive director of Craft by EDU, a nonprofit whose mission is to champion equity, inclusion, and justice in the craft brewing community through education and professional development. As you'll hear in the interview, Dr. Jay was just about to embark on an entirely new career path when COVID-19 intruded. A frequent speaker at conferences and events throughout the country, Dr. J suddenly found herself sidelined at home. In fact, at a new home that she and her family had just moved into. She expected to spend 2020 traveling around and speaking about issues of diversity, inclusion, and equity. Instead, she's already had to substantially rethink her business model and how to get her message out. She's a great example of persevering and pivoting in the face of hardship, and I'm hoping that COVID-19 actually offers the craft beer industry a -a once-in-a-generation opportunity to rethink how it does business and expand the communities that it serves. You know, in getting into this, we sort of start by just asking everyone, you know, sort of the same same kind of question, which is just how, how are you doing? How have you been?
1: Uh... You know, that's, <laughs> I tell everybody, it's like a weirdly difficult question to answer. Yeah. Um, in some regards, like, really good. And then others, um, really bad, right? Like, um, that. it's just kind of all over the place right now. And I think that that's in some ways, like, uh, both a blessing and a curse, like, Obviously, not having a clearly charted pathway in front of you is kind of crazy, but like also having lots of um, options and things to do is like a relief, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, kind of all over the place.
0: So, for those who don't know, can you sort of walk us through your background, but then more particularly sort of where you were say six months ago and where you're basically we moving to transition to.
1: Yeah. So, um, so six months ago, I guess, or if you want to take it back even further, sure. um, you know, I have been an academic, um, for, More than a decade um, working as a full time college professor. And my area of um, research has been the brewing industry um, since graduate school. Um, And that's really how I got into the industry and um, how I got hooked up with the Brewers Association two years ago um, to be their first diversity ambassador. Um, And I think for reasons. You know, both related to and some wholly unrelated to um, my work in the industry. Um, I knew that you know, I was starting to make some distance between myself and academia. Um, there are just kind of aspects of higher ed that I absolutely love. I love teaching. I love advocacy work. Um, but there's a lot of higher education that I don't love, um, and that perhaps more importantly, I found to be um, really hypocritical, and like to the point of like it's hard to wake up and do this work sometimes. Right um, when you feel like you're not um, doing things that line up with what you say you believe about the world. Um, and so, you know, what I kind of found was that my the work I was doing um, as a as a kind of faculty consultant in craft year was um, in some ways like more consistent with what I believed it meant to be a good academic than being in higher ed Mm was Right. Um, so I travel around the country and I teach, um, that's, you know, workshops, keynotes, whatever, right. That's teaching and I love it. Um, I do research and that's, you know, again, part of the academics work and I do advocacy and service work. So in some ways I was like, wow, I get to be a better, more effective academic. Right. um, and craft beer, um, and so started the process of like shifting, um, shifting uh, out of academia and into craft beer full time. Um, quite a while ago, right? Um, so, you know, establishing a consultancy, um, working to build up a client base. Um, right, everything you do when you kind of are working to make your your side hustle into your main hustle. Mm-hmm. That's largely what I've been doing for the last year, um, which has been uh, crazy. Like, you know, I've more or less been working to two full-time jobs for almost a year now. Um, and it's been hard. Um, part of that process has also been like relocating.
2: So, right, right.
1: Uh, we also uh, bought a house and moved. Um, we closed on the house in March, which is, you know, the craziest time to goes yeah. on a mortgage. Um, you know, so in the midst of all this, we've also moved, um, not terribly far, but from Lynchburg, Virginia to Richmond, Virginia, um, for a number of reasons. But part of it is it's, um, you know, closer to a reasonable, reasonable international airport mm-hmm. and, um, more, um, just easier to kind of work out of a bigger, uh, area. So I think six months ago, it was primed for, um, you know, March slash April to do this kind of um, glorious uh, transition of like, yay, I'm hanging mm-hmm. up my, um my academic robes and stepping boldly into the craft year space. And of course, the timing couldn't have been worse.
0: And not only were you looking to sort of transition, but also this sort of, you know, and it's this has sort of taken the rug out from underneath you right now. But also, you know, talk about a little bit you know, just how it was to, you know, were you able to say goodbye to your students? Was there any sort of closure there or did everything just yeah, kind of fold all. up?
1: Yeah, it, none at all. Um, yeah. So it was just kind of like, I mean, the difficult part for us was we didn't even really know that it was going to happen. So mm-hmm. we we left, everybody left for spring break.
2: Right?
1: Um, and that, well, that was the first week of March. And then um, spring break was extended by a week so that the college could decide what to do. Uh, and then in the middle of the extension, they just decided not to reconvene. Right. So when we all left for spring break, when the students left campus for spring break, there was, you know, there was no idea that they were going to not come back Mm -hmm. or that we wouldn't be seeing each other again. Um, so that has been, um, surreal. You know, I, um, I think about the seniors like students I've advised for, you know, nearly four years and who are graduating without a graduation. And, um, it is, you know, or colleagues who I'm just now—I've moved out of town. So it's literally, like colleagues who I may not see again for quite some time. Yeah. Um, it is, um, God, it's awful. It's really awful. You know, you—I think you don't necessarily understand how much you need closure until you back in.
0: And it's just sort of an unceremonious end. You just sort of pack your yeah. boxes and and go, and then you have to you have to move. I mean, it's just been constant activity for you for the last couple of months.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we actually, um, you know, changed the timeline of the move. We were going to wait until the end of June. Uh well, not the end of June, the beginning of June to move um, because my wife uh, works in the public school system and we have a 12-year-old. Um, so we were going to wait until the school year ended. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, schools are closed to the end of the year now. And yeah. so we had no reason to hang around and, um, with uh A really significant anticipated change of income. Like, there was, we were like, let's get this move done as quickly as possible. So, um, yeah, it was kind of, everything was disrupted so quickly. Uh, And I think we're still kind of managing that and unpacking it. And, you know, again, that's one of those strange um, dualities that I was kind of speaking to. Like, I'm honestly, in some days, just very relieved that we have this move and this renovation and all these things to manage on day to day. So I don't have to like sit around and think about the state of things. Right. Right,
0: now. right. And I know travel had been a big part of your life in recent years. And certainly I've you know seen you in various cities, whether it's my home city here in Boston or you know down in Orlando or Denver or wherever else, you know, how has that been going from traveling so much to just sort of you're just now home?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's super crazy. Right. Um, uh, like I haven't, I haven't been anywhere since I was, um, in the UK in February. And, um, this is for sure the longest stretch I've gone, um, without traveling for work in years. Um, and, you know, and that comes with some great, great things and some bad things. Um, you know, I, I think, being able to be on the ground uh, in different places gives me more perspective about the industry and um, the types of opportunities and challenges people are facing than I ever imagined it. Mm. I think we like to think that we could just talk to people or think about the industry in particular ways um, from a distance, but, you know, it it really does matter to be able to kind of, um, you know, walk a place and sit down on a stool and, and think about the kind of different pieces of different contexts, in right. different places. It's You know, it's been that type of travel that's probably been one of the more um, helpful and foundational aspects of how I think about what I do in the industry. Um, you know, I kind of beat the drum of there are no one size fits all solutions mm-hmm. to the kind of challenges we have. But I think, um, you know, the, The underlying story to that is, you know, dot, 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 because um, our regional and even local contexts are just so different from one another, you know. Um, And so it's really challenging to not be traveling in that way.
0: And yeah, I would think that your work particularly lends itself to sort of the human touch and just being able to see the interdynamics at play in a particular institution or organization. This isn't kind of a, a, a business or a you know, a situation where you could just simply like do a Zoom call and tell somebody how to fix something in the brew house. This is this is more of a hands-on, you know, interpersonal kind of kind of relationship.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um so that that's been a challenge, you know. Um I think I think on the other hand, not traveling has been a really important um catalyst for me to kind of think and rethink. Um, about what I do and how I do it and how I'm delivering um, services, mm-hmm. uh, and I think there is um, there are some inherent limitations to being um, to serving the industry um, primarily through on-site and travel-based things, um, and you know, some of the fallout is that um, it's difficult to provide. Um, you know, meaningful or close follow-up um, with individuals who I see at a conference or they watch a talk, right, um, because I, I get back on a plane and leave. Um, yeah. And I think there are only certain organizations that have uh, the resources to right. right, engage an outside consultants, right? So, um, so there's, there's some really productive rethinking there as well.
0: And so how have you been able to pivot specifically in terms of the work you're doing in your, in your consulting? Um, you know, obviously travel is a huge part of it now, you know, how are you able to sort of alter how you're, how you're approaching it when you're working with these different organizations?
1: Yeah, I think, um, one of the big things that I'm looking at right now is just, um, being really, really molecular about, um, breaking down, what type of value and what type of service I provide, um, and finding ways to think about like, well, do I have to do this? Do I have to be on site to do this? Or can it be um, rethought and repackaged in such a way that um, it empowers other people to take it and do it on their own? Right. Um, so, looking looking a lot at different types of like remote and online delivery for different types of resources. Really, mm-hmm. uh, And that's, um, I would say, largely that's where I am. Um, And then also just looking at um, ways to think about um, increasing access um, to conversations, to follow-up and things like that, rather than kind of this one-and-done model that happens so often with with event talk. So still really, really um, digging out what that looks like, but I think, um, after the initial kind of shell shock of realizing like, oh, you you can't do work the way that you have been doing it all along. Um, it's actually been really, really exciting and really helpful to kind of pull things apart and and build them back up. Um, and you know, even if we go back to some semblance of a future that looks like what it did six months ago, I think, um, rethinking some of these things is, is a better move because i mm-hmm. um, genuinely hopeful that I can kind of serve more folks more meaningfully and, and more affordably going forward.
0: How concerned are you that uh, diversity and inclusion programs or, uh, you know, it, these initiatives are going to be sort of shelved during a pandemic or in, or in the wake of it, you know, while companies try to just keep businesses afloat generally? Is there concern that this is something that's just going to sort of be cast off? Because it does seem like these initiatives were really starting to have a moment in this industry after so long outside. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, it it would be a shame to see that momentum lost.
1: Yeah, I think, (laughs) I mean, so my response to you was no, but not because that isn't real. I think it's just because I'm, I'm beyond concern. I just accept it as a reality. Right. Like that. I think it is, um, absolutely the case. Right? Um, and I think a lot of, um, you know, I don't think that, uh, equity and inclusion initiatives are the only types of thinking that, um, are going to get back burner. um, mm-hmm. because of this, right. Sustainability, uh, safety, like right. all sorts of things that aren't, central to um, simply staying operational are going to get um, thrown in the back burner. And, um, you know, that's really, really challenging. Um, Not just personally for something I do, but it's um, challenging as an industry because I think, you know, my answer to that question, like what are the best trends or the biggest trends in in craft beer? You know, a lot of folks throw that question out there. And I always kind of had this idea. I love this industry. Really seem to be embracing a kind of professionalism, Mm -hmm. whether that um, whether that has to do with sensory programs or um, SOPs or thinking about um, compensation and benefits in particular ways. Like I just felt like um, you know really really being self-reflective about organizational practice and how how one operates. such a great move in the industry and i certainly believe that the work i do is part of that um, and i think in some ways um, we're going to be set back there mm-hmm. if that makes sense like i think um, it's, it's and it's not a bad thing right like in some ways i feel like um, the industry's history as a bunch of like gritty bootstrappers might be helping it more than anything else right now um, because people who kind of had to make it work to get off the ground, or making it work to stay afloat, right? Um, but yeah, I think that's, um, that's something that we're going to be dealing with for, gosh, I don't know, a while. I think.
0: Is there is there a possibility here that you know this is an opportunity, maybe like just a once in a generation or a lifetime opportunity for this industry to rethink uh, how it manages? you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, these thoughts, especially where oftentimes a lot of these breweries have had to lay off a considerable portion of their staff. Is this, are these thoughts that they should be having now as opposed to, you know, you know, two or three years from now?
1: Yeah, I think so. Right. Um, absolutely. Because I, and, and I think in a couple of words, I can, I think one, um, the conversation around employee treatment, um, whether you're talking about frontline employees, essential employees, or people who are furloughed um, or laid off, um, is just so top of mind right now. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do organizations treat their people? And, um, you know, insofar as, you know, I have my work eyes on, um, a lot of the things that I've seen flying around about, COVID really makes me feel, um, I don't know, more convinced than ever that, organizations that have really strong culture of inclusion and equity seem to be um, riding out some of these difficult employee relations Mm. better than others. And I think um, that's going to affect you positively in the long term on a couple of fronts, both in terms of like your employee engagement and loyalty turnover, but also, um, you know, there is a, really significant element of public sentiment. And I think what you're seeing with consumers are, um, being very cheesy with their consumption dollars right now. Um, and you see a lot of people, I mean, we already talked about how millennials are kind sort of social consumers and, um, you know, are looking to spend their dollars with organizations that make them feel good. But mm. I think we're seeing a lot more people doing that, not just millennials. Right. I think a lot of people, um, are um, showing a certain type of kind of social uh, and you know almost political support with the ways that they're spending their dollars right. and I think organizations treat their people well um, and that kind of approach things equitably are gonna are gonna kind of experience a long-term boost here.
2: Yeah,
0: that does seem to be going on. Whether it's just you know making sure that your employees have the right protective equipment, or or just creating the right environments for them to be safe. I think you know the the brewery owners that I've talked to and the and the managers in the last you know two months or so that I've been most impressed by are the ones who are not talking necessarily about the business, but they are talking about their their staff, their family essentially, mm-hmm. trying to make sure that these people are treated, you know, they're talking about their health care, they're talking about their personal safety. You know, these are the issues that they're, they're putting forward as being top of mind. And I think that's great for the great for craft beer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, um, you know, I think we are also all hopeful that um, at some juncture, there will be a, you know, a surge in hiring in our industry. Um, And, you know, whether you're talking about recruitment or onboarding or training or any of those kind of early employee journey processes, um, this is a great time to kind of rethink the the structures that you have in Mm -hmm. place and put in some new procedures so that when you are ready to bring on those folks, um, you know, you have some really great policy and infrastructure in place.
0: With you know, sort of, I know of, you know, obviously events around the country have been canceled. One of the ones I was most looking forward to hearing about, you know, was one that you were going to put on, which was the, uh, craft career expo. Uh, can you talk to mm-hmm. me a little bit about what that was supposed to be and hopefully what it will be again, maybe sometime in the fall or sometime hopefully reasonably soon. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So this was, um, um, going to be a the kind of premiere and a series event that, um, my nonprofit organization Press.edu, um was going to put out, and that's we're still planning to do so, I'm just kind of waiting until uh, we can do so safely. Um, but essentially, this is a uh, one day event that we're looking to take to um, locations all over the country, and um, that includes three components. Um, first, there is a, a career expo, so you can think of it as any particular um, career fair where there's lots of potential employers and potential employees, um, just getting an opportunity to interact and mix in an area. Uh, the second component would be uh, a bit of professional development for the employers who attend, uh, so they can do some short workshops on uh, hiring and retaining diversity. And then a third would be for the um, potential employees um, that have basically just a case networking reception to kind of introduce folks to... Uh, craft beer and what kind of jobs are available. Um, and the idea is to take these events to educational and training institutions um, who have diverse talent pools who maybe do not have a lot of exposure um, to craft beer the craft beer industry in general. Um, one of the things that I've found you know, over the last couple of years, um, in particular in um, communities of color and other populations, is that um, it's not even necessarily an issue of um, right biases and exclusion. It's almost like two populations of people who just do not know each other. Right. Um, and one of the things that has always just struck me as um, unfortunate and frankly confusing is, you know, I live in the mid-Atlantic slash South um, where the kind of nation's largest concentration of historically black uh colleges and universities are located many of these uh, institutions are land grant um, or agriculturally based in some way and many of them have uh, hospitality right and um, there's almost no awareness um, of the industry um, of these types of uh, educational
2: institutions,
1: and vice versa right? these institutions not realizing that um, craft industry and especially allied trade um, are places where their graduates could be looking for careers. Um, and so really the kind of goal of that event is to make this introduction, but not sort of in a like, here's a brochure way, but to make it a kind of high impact, high quality introduction um, between two, two pe- you know, two communities that really could mutually benefit from a relationship.
0: And is there a way to do that, you know, assuming that this COVID situation keeps us, you know, distanced for some period of time, is there a way to take that online? Is there a way to, to create other opportunities for, you know, as, as these breweries and distributors and others start to reopen and, and start to do rehiring, uh, are there ways for them you know, to sort of create these, these, these contact points, these, these connections that, you know, we're hoping to do? in person, but you know, may have to come mm-hmm. up with new creative approaches to, to achieve.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it, interestingly, I think what COVID is doing is making us kind of, um, flip what we were thinking about doing upside down. You know, I think the idea was that this needed to be a kind of face to face in person thing that maybe some online, um, support in the background. And I think right now we're just kind of considering, all right, what does it look like to do that upside down? Um, to kind of move these, these functions online, and then um, support them with uh, face-to-face events um, when that becomes possible. Um, and that's a that's a really great, different question, interesting question. I think um, one of the things you know that I'm doing right now, particularly now that um, you know CDC just kind of finished its online um, version, you have lots of other um, groups kind of putting different kind of panel discussions and things online. We now mm-hmm. are seeing a rash of beer festivals are going online. So, um, and a lot of what I'm doing is just trying to observe like what makes an online platform right. or an online experience work um, and not work. And that's, um, you know, the brave New World we're all kind of figuring out right now.
0: The Brewers Association's obviously taken a bit of a hit in terms of its finances. It's, you know, a lot of it has to do with events, which, you know, they, they bring in a fair amount of revenue through those events that, you know, unfortunately are just one by one falling by the wayside. How has it been as Mm -hmm. a, as an ambassador, have they still been supporting that program? Because, I mean, obviously they were laid off, you know, some folks, you know, a couple weeks back and, you know, times are a little bit tough for them as well. This goes across the entire industry.
1: Yeah. Well, um, yeah, they're still supportive, but, you know, ambassador travel has definitely been, um, Canceled for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, some of us, I mean, it's hard to say because we don't all necessarily have the same exact um, functions or relationships with the various association. You know, uh, my role is, um, I can speak to mine directly. You know, I do obviously do guild work and travel, but that's not all I do. Um, and a lot of other things I do in terms of, um, you know, initiatives, program building, and research are all functions that, you know, still uh, still be done so um, yeah there's still support in that regard but um, obviously you know one of the bigger aspects of what we do has um, has had to be curtailed for the rest of the year
0: so in moving to a new town that hopefully means you have the opportunity to visit some new breweries have you been at least able to get out and uh, and buy beer from some new places
1: uh, uh, not yet yeah. I and mean, that's um, not necessarily because they're not here, it's just we've been mm-hmm. at all these and kind of getting into the new house and uh, renovating and digging out of boxes. But, yep. um, and a lot of it also is just like, um, maybe a little bit of being overwhelmed. Right? Um, I'm leaving a town that had exactly zero yep. Um and, and stepping into one that has like 30. Yep. Um, so um, yeah, I—I I told myself. I was joking with myself the other day. I was like, I'm going to have to make like a, like a, a to do list or some sort of like mm-hmm. schedule plan to kind of figure out how to do it. Otherwise, I'll just um, be really overwhelmed. But um, yeah, there's some newer like I've you know had a lot of area offerings, but there's some newer folks who I definitely want to check out, and uh, that's really exciting.
0: It's really exciting. Well. Thanks for taking the time. I look forward to seeing you again. I don't know when, but uh, sometime in you know, a reasonable soon yeah. to have a beer together. But uh, you and the family take care. And uh, you know, thank you for coming on.
2: Of course.
1: Um, you too. And uh, absolutely love to the family. And please be, be safe and be well.
0: As he does most weeks, we're joined on the line by Beer Edge editor and co-founder John Hall. How you doing, John?
3: I'm all right, Andy. How about you? Uh,
0: doing okay. Thanks for taking time away from your tomatoes. I know that you were just about to get in the garden when I caught you.
3: I, I was. It's, I'm trying to sneak off for uh, an early Memorial Day weekend. and uh, I think it's, it, it's so weird to actually think that this is Memorial Day weekend and this unofficial start to summer because it absolutely does not feel like it.
0: No, as someone who has been self-employed for the better part of two decades, I have a very tenuous grasp of the calendar to begin with, and then this has just become even more untethered. I woke up this morning convinced it was Sunday, Uh, have no idea that it's Memorial Day weekend, and that this year will have just a very different meaning than it does in most years.
3: Yeah, and I think brewers are really starting to brace for, you know, what the future is going to hold you know so many breweries especially those with outdoor space and as people were uh you know especially the ones that are also in like vacation spots you know i think of uh you know up north in vermont or some you know shore locations or you know places that people like to generally vacation uh that do a lot of their seasonal business um that sets them up for the rest of the year i think that this is this is really going to start to be uh, a, a real test for them and um and, and what the future holds.
0: Yeah, and I, I think I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks talking to folks in Maine in particular. And Maine is just one of those states that is just so driven by tourist dollars that come in over the course of, you know, three or four months out of the year. And they're all just, you know, it's dawning on them that even though things are reopening there, this is going to be a lost summer and it's really going really to hurt because, you know, a huge portion of the profits that these places take in uh, are during these these months. And, you know, you know, unless you're in a in a place where you get a lot of year-round activity, you know, there's thousands of breweries around this country that are just going to be hit, you know, really hard with this.
3: Yeah. Uh, this summer, I mean, I think a lot of folks are starting to set up for, you know, to be awash um, uh, in, in a lot of respects, even with restrictions being lifted. I think people are going to be more careful about how they travel and where they travel. Um, and so, you know, it'll be interesting to see. You know what next summer looks like this summer of 2021—and um, if the summer of you know, 2019 was you know, our last normal, as it were. But time will tell with that.
0: And one of the things that you know, talking about lost things in 2020, we received the announcement today. You know, long expected, but you know, certainly a kick in the pants nonetheless. That uh, GABF, you know, the Great American Beer Festival, will be canceled this year. They'll hold a virtual version of it, but. The in-person one is done.
3: Yeah, the the word that they used was pivot, that they are pivoting from a in-person experience to a virtual experience. And uh, I think they're trying to to make some uh, lemonade-flavored IPA out of lemons uh, in this situation, because it'll be interesting to see how an online festival of that magnitude takes off, uh, if it does at all. You know, uh, there's been a lot of, smaller festivals that have happened online, like virtual hangouts, uh, sometimes on Zoom, sometimes on, on Facebook. A lot of the state guilds have been doing that right. over the last couple of months. as like fundraisers, you know, and, and it's been great because if you live in Iowa or you live in Arizona, you, you can go and pick up beer from, you know, your, your local brewery and then drink Iowa beer and drink Arizona beer with, with fellow uh, statesmen, as it were. How a national festival, especially one that brings seventy thousand people into Denver each year, uh, looks like online. Uh, well, they have a couple more months to figure that out because they moved it from the in-person date of September to this virtual uh, date in October, as it were. I think the sixteenth and seventeenth.
0: Yeah, the small events make sense over Zoom or or Skype or whatever you know format you want to use. Uh, doing these dinners where people would just get takeout from their local restaurant along with some beers. I know you did that earlier in the uh, earlier in the spring. Yeah. And these these uh, you know these brewers guilds that are having you know panels on lager beer with with brewers from around the country and things like that. I think are great uses of those resources. How you try to mimic or recreate or even fashion a version of an in person beer festival, especially one the size and the complexity of uh, the national and almost times international great American beer festival. I don't, yeah, I don't know how you replicate that in any meaningful way for other consumers or the trade.
3: Yeah. I think there's also just going to need to be warnings for people to turn down their speakers when the bagpipers show up. Yeah. That's, that's a big problem. <laughs> But you know the thing is right now the JABF and the Brewers Association they're going to have some time to sort of figure this out and to see how other places are doing this. Uh, you know, Untapped announced uh, the the app Untapped announced that they were going to be doing a, a virtual festival and they they partnered with a with a beer retailer uh, and they're going to be you know you can buy. A uh, ninety dollar ticket, I think, and you get a box of beer sent in the mail, so you can drink the same beers along with everybody else. And you know, maybe that's a route that, if if it works, maybe the BA will go. And there's going to be other things that they can see and mimic and find out what works. And remember, they've been putting on events for a really long time, uh, and they're they're good at it. Uh, there's no other way of saying it. So, if anybody's going to do a successful online thing, it it's likely them, uh, if such a thing can exist.
0: Right. So beyond. Beyond those stories, what else have you been hearing lately?
3: So the brewers that I've been talking to this week from around the country, um, you know, as restrictions are being lifted, uh, especially right now, I think all 50 states are in some stage of uh, being reopened. But the big thing that I'm I'm hearing right now is what happens when the second wave hits. All of the medical experts keep saying, okay, like we could face another wave in September, October, November uh, of COVID-19. And that can impact us again. We might all have to go underground again. We might have to restrict ourselves then. So what does that look like for small businesses. And a lot of them are starting to think about that. Think about long term. Uh, it's not just how do we live week to week, but how do we live to the end of the year and then beyond. Uh, especially if there's going to be cyclical closures, uh, that could be a part of our you know normalcy for a while. Uh, and there's no right answer at this point. Um, you know, a lot of places are are planning on staying uh, small, uh, planning on still doing curbside pickup, planning on doing uh, only to go orders, or if a place opens up social distance uh, indoors or maximizing outdoor space, um, I don't think anybody is going to, that I talk to at least, is planning on trying to get their business back, looking and running exactly how it was um, in early March. And now that they know what it looks like how it when it's closed, or at least modified, they're definitely going to be implementing that and refining that uh, for when the next wave happens.
0: I think a lot of places are going to be pretty conservative in their reopening. At least that's you know the people I'm talking to are talking about. You know, if my state reopens or if my city reopens, I'm going to wait a week. I'm going to wait two weeks, as Chris Loring said you know last week on this podcast uh, yep. that he wants to see you know besides you know letting all the the knuckleheads in you know in the doors. <laughs> they try to avoid you know that sort of knucklehead tax for the first two weeks with people just going crazy uh, from having been indoors for a couple months. They are just trying to see best practices and what can happen. And I don't think any of these places are looking to rehire all of their staff and go through all of that paperwork and processing only to have, you know, two months or so later have to, or even less having to delay everybody back off again. And I think that's, you know, sure. in trying to build a business back up and then have it have it crumble again, I think is it might be a step too far for a lot of these people who have already been through so much.
3: Yeah. And I mean, and let's be honest, e- even the best intention places that want to rehire everybody that they had to lay off or furlough, um, they might not be making the money right now. That'll justify that. And that can that can continue. You know, it's you know, you need the the revenue coming in. And if your tap room isn't bumping on the weekends like it used to uh, or you're not moving, you know, six packs uh, like you would hope, um, you might have to do limited staffing. Uh, going forward and maybe even cut back from there. So, you know, it's, as always, it's just, it's, it seems to continue to find new ways of of being grim.
0: Well, on that happy note, John, thanks for joining us this week. And we usually try (laughs) to leave you on a happier note, but uh, you know, this one, yeah, well, you know, sometimes there, you know, life's not always not always perfect. Sometimes there's some dour moments, but I know have it, you know, get back out there in the garden and maybe that's where we find our happy places and have a good Memorial Day weekend. Thanks, Andy. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Beer Edge podcast. This show is produced by Beer Edge and co-hosted by myself and John Hall. We know it's lonely during COVID-19, so if you wanna reach out, we look forward to hearing from you. I can be reached at Beerscribe on Twitter or via email at, andy at beeredge.com. If you got some time, and we know you do, drop a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Be sure to check out our revamped Beer Edge website where we're posting new articles every week. Also be sure to check out John Hall's other podcast, Drink Beer, Think Beer, which drops every Wednesday. We'll catch you next week with another episode of the Beer Edge Podcast. Until then, stay safe and healthy.